The Forum at 8 on SAFM. Thank you, Rob. It brings the time to eight minutes past eight on the forum this morning. We look at criminality within the SAPS with indications that the number of police officers either facing serious criminal charges or being convicted of these could be widespread. An audit report released on Sunday has established that 1,448 SAPS members had criminal offences. Already many people have expressed concern, saying it's beyond shocking that anyone with a criminal record should ever be able to be employed by the police service. Earlier this month, Police Commissioner Ria Piacha had, through an internal memorandum, ordered police management to purge officers who had been convicted of serious crimes. Following the release of the audit report, main opposition party, the Democratic Alliance, has also demanded that all police officers, workers with criminal records, be dismissed with immediate effect. Police Minister Naiti Ntatwa says the service will now launch a review into the offences to be completed by October. Our question this morning is the revelation that more than a 1,000 police and SAPS staff members have criminal records, a cause for alarm. To answer this question, we say a very good morning to Lieutenant General Solomon Mahale, Head of Communication for the South African Police Service. Good morning to you, Lieutenant General. Good morning, Tabitha. And we also say good morning to Gareth Newham. He is Head of Crime and Justice Program, Institute for Security Studies. Good morning. Good morning and good morning to everybody listening. And we also say welcome and good morning to independent researcher on crime and policing issues, Tamba Masuku. Good morning. Yes, good morning. And we'll hear from uh, the DA's Diane Kola Barnett in just a moment. She's a shadow minister of police. But let me start with you, Lieutenant General uh, Mahala. As I've mentioned, the reaction to these figures, this audit report that you've released, in total, how many police officers and staff members are there out of this total 1,448 members with criminal offences? There are nearly 200,000 people employed within the South African Police Service, uh, majority of whom are employed in terms of the uh, South African Police Service Act. The others is the Public Service Act. And the ones who have been found with criminal records, how many of those are police officers? They are both from, uh, well, employed in terms of the Police Act and the Public Service okay. Act. But offhand, um, I, I don't have the, the number, but I think it needs to be borne in mind that um, these uh, um, members, uh, you know, it, 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 it's concerning, even if it was five people that were found to have uh, criminal records, um, actually would have, have to be taken. And that's one of the things that... Uh, the National Mr. Mach- Lieutenant General, are you still with us? Okay, it seems like uh, we're having a problem with that line. Let's see if we can get him back. But uh, Gareth Newham, your response to this, is it, is it cause for alarm? Well, I don't think it's necessarily a cause for alarm. Um, it's not completely unusual for police agencies to have a certain number of police officials of criminal convictions. I know it sounds strange to, to, to most people, but, you know, um, in 2009, in the United Kingdom, for instance, there was a bit of an outcry because they found out that over 1,000 police officials out of 140,000 had criminal convictions. And then three years later, actually, uh, in January last year, they had another count and found that there were still almost 1,000 uh, police officials in the United Kingdom that had criminal convictions. 
And the reason is because sometimes the, the conviction is for a relatively minor offense. Um, it, it might be that you have a very well-trained detective or somebody who is adding value off-duty. They get caught driving just over the legal limit. They're convicted, so they get a criminal conviction. You don't necessarily want to fire that person if they're doing a very good job and if they didn't mean to necessarily um, drive drunk, for instance. So it's not a complete crisis. I think I was actually quite surprised at the relatively low number. When you think about mm. um, around 2,000, there was a parliamentary question, and it was then there were 16,500 members of the South African Police Service with criminal convictions. So this figure has actually come down quite considerably if you consider what it was um, about 10 or so years ago. Do we know how many of those are convicted of serious crimes? Well, I think that's what the audits should be uh, looking at quite carefully because there's two two things that can happen. Either the pe- people are being hired into the police service when they already have criminal convictions because the vetting processes are not properly working, and then you want to know, are serious criminals making it into the South African police service? Of course, there's a very famous incident very recently where uh, a police official in the crime intelligence environment was found to have a criminal conviction for armed robbery and should have actually been in jail, and he managed to get into the police. So that shows a problem with the vetting pro- process. So you need to know, are that audit? Um, how many police officials had criminal records and still managed to get into the police mm. system? And then secondly, of those uh, police officials with criminal records, what are the kinds of serious violent crimes? Um, because you still get quite uh, quite a few instances where police officials are convicted for assault, for instance, assault GBH, and there's a number of recent instances um, where they then remain in the police service. And I think that that is a policy issue. The law says that a, a person may only be summarily dismissed from the South African police service if they get convicted for a crime and they are sentenced to a term imprisonment without the option of a fine. However, if they get criminally convicted, say for assault, GBH, even attempted murder, and they get a 5,000 rand fine or five years suspended, um, then they're not necessarily automatically dismissed. The South African police service then have to take an internal disciplinary hearing and then find out if they should dismiss mm-hmm. them. In many cases, they don't dismiss them. And in many cases, the, the, the sanctions from the internal disciplinary hearing are actually far more lenient than the criminal justice process. Let me come to you, Tamba Masuku, while we are still trying to get Solomon, uh, Lieutenant General Solomon Mahali back on the line, Head of Communications for the South African Police Service. I think of concern to a lot of people is the fact that we are, in some cases, talking about police officers. And, of course, the, the correction can be made if it needs to be by Lieutenant General Solomon Mahali that some of these officers are in possession of a state-issued firearm. I think it, it, it is a it is a concern um, that you you have police officers uh, with criminal records. I think yeah, that's a, that's a that's a genuine concern uh, for, for 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 most people. But like Gary is saying, it's, it's not a, it's not a, a very unusual thing. I think part of the concern is that um, police officers are generally entrusted to protect communities, um, and then when you have police officers with criminal records. The issue of uh, the issue of trust um, becomes a, a, an issue. The institution itself becomes compromised because, in the eyes of people, um, if you have police officers who are, who are compromised because of criminal records, communities will tend not to trust both the institution and both and, and, and its members. I think one of the things that um, that are also Important to highlight um, earlier on is that I think it's, it, it, it is a good thing that you, you have a, a system that has been able to, to unearth this. I think it, it brings confidence. I think I would want to have a situation where we have 
senior police officers or we have a system of accountability where such things can come out and they are known. We would rather know uh, what we're dealing with than uh, things uh, dealt, dealt under the okay. carpet. So I think it's a good thing that we have this, uh, this report coming out because it does give public confidence that something at least is known and something, is con- something can be done about it. Well, let's uh, speak to Lieutenant General Solomon Mahale, who is back on the line. The, the question that's been asked here, Lieutenant General, is how many of these officers have been convicted of serious crimes? And uh, uh, Mr. Newman here, you are here raising a very important point, is how many of those have been able to get into the service after being convicted of those crimes? Right. Let me first just correct something in terms of the figures that I provided. We have uh, in total uh, in the region of 200,000 uh, uh, people working for the South African Police Service. Um, 160,000 of them are employed in terms of the Police Act, and the the figure of 1,448 uh, that has criminal records is only with regard to members that are employed uh, in terms of the Police Act. Now, the, the, the offenses that they, these members have been convicted of, they range. It's, it's murder, it's rape, it's uh, corruption, bribery, it's um, um, driving while under the influence of alcohol, alcohol and various other petty um, offenses. So <clears throat> we obviously take all of these seriously. But we also have to bear in mind that they are employed in terms of the, you know, one has to take into account the Labor Relations Act in, in dealing with these members. So I agree with uh, the previous speaker that if these people are not, these members are not dealt with, it okay. will not instill but, confidence. But how many are convicted of serious crimes? Um, look, the, the numbers vary. I don't have the, the exact number offhand as to say these are serious uh, crimes. But do you have an idea of the percentage? Crimes. I think the, it's... Uh, let me make the following point, Tepiso. Uh, Whether one is convicted of uh, shoplifting or murder, it's the same principle. They have a criminal offense and uh, they need to be dealt with. I think that's the principle that we're working with. But I can say that the majority of them, yes, it's serious, uh, serious offences. So the majority of this 1,448 figure are convicted of serious crimes? Yes. As I but go back now, to the point raised by Gareth, allow me, Lieutenant General, Gareth Newham raised the uh, point of the concern is that some of those have been able to get into the system. They've been convicted already, have gotten into the police system. I mean, the, the minister himself raising the issue of recruitment yeah. being a, a very important loophole and factor in, yeah. in some of these issues. So can you, can you deal with that okay. particular issue? Yes, very good point. Now, most of them, these uh, convictions, they got while they were in, in the service of the South African Police Service. Recruitment has changed. I think we need to distinguish between two things. We are dealing with people that committed uh, these crimes uh, in 1990 or in 1980. We're not talking about uh, recent uh, uh, criminal offenses because those are being dealt with as and when they happen. We're talking about things that happened a while back, and we're talking about 
people that uh, uh, committed these offenses, majority of them while they were in the service of the police. But the challenge that we have is that uh, some of these uh, issues were known to management and no action was taken. And that is why the minister has also instructed that we need to look at the disciplinary code and say what are the things that we need to change so that some of the decisions that relate to discipline are not taken at junior level but are taken at very senior level mm-hmm. so that the correct decisions can be made but can also be made in a consistent manner okay. so that if there is somebody who is found guilty of murder, uh, they're not kept in the service while others are being uh, discharged. You make the point that uh, these are not recent convictions, but these are convictions from the 1990s. So you are aware of the problem and you're acting on it. I'd like to find out what the what Indeed. is the turnaround time though? I, I'm looking at a case of two Guazanatal policemen who were jailed for murder uh, for 15 years each in the Richards Bay Regional Court. Now, I'd like to find out, for instance, that is something that's made the headlines. Have they been flushed out of the system already? We, um, I'm not familiar with that particular incident, but let me say in terms of uh, the uh, internal process, if a member is found guilty in a court of law, uh, as we speak today, and they are supposed to serve 10 or 5 years, whatever, in jail, in terms of the acts, they are deemed... Uh, suspended and they, that's a much quicker process and we can, uh, they can be dismissed. However, what we are dealing with here, remember, it's old cases. The new cases have been dealt with and it's fairly quick to deal with because if you are, if you are in jail, you are deemed suspended. Then we follow the labor relations process and that member will be then be dealt mm-hmm. with and in all probability they will be dismissed from the service. Just to give you a, an idea, in the last uh, uh, 12 months up until the end of March, in the region of uh, um, just over a thousand uh, members were um, dismissed from service for various uh, offenses as well as misconduct. So it's something that is taken very seriously because we agree that if we are to correct the perception that people have of our organization, then we need to deal with members who misbehave. Okay. We'll deal about the the issue later on, whether or not it's a perception, and also the administration of what you're saying are the uh, implementations in place to deal with current cases, whether or not it is in place and it is working. Let's take a quick break, and we'll also get you to listen to what Diane Kolebali said when we spoke to her earlier on. Do you hear the dramatic music playing underneath my ever more dramatic voice? It's what most companies do to grab your attention and convince you they mean business. But that's not how we do things at Standard Bank. We're not about gimmicks. We're about working with you to optimize your cash flow and manage liquidity to keep your business successful. Which is why more businesses bank with Standard Bank than with any other South African bank. So for less of this and more no-nonsense banking, visit standardbank.co.za forward slash business. Let's talk business. This is how we're moving yours forward. Standard Bank. Moving forward, an authorized financial services and registered credit provider. This is the fortune that came from the sale of the cows and the sheep that graze in the fields where they found scattered seeds that came from the maize that secured funding for the co-op that planted the maize that was tended by the farmer on the fertile land that was found in the valley that was once a barren piece of land in Africa. 
At NetBank Capital, we believe in making sustainable solutions happen. We are an authorized financial services and credit provider. Terms and conditions apply. Make things happen. NetBank Capital. The Forum at 8 on SAFM. We're in conversation with Lieutenant General Solomon Mahale, Head of Communications of the SAPS, as well as Gareth Newham, Head of Crime and Justice Program at the Institute for Security Studies. Tamba Masuku is an independent researcher on on crime and policing issues. Now, I understand that, Lieutenant General Mahale, you have to leave us in about five minutes or so, but I'd like you to listen in on... Uh, what uh, Diane Kola Barnard, who is the Democratic Alliance's Shadow Minister of Police, had to say uh, to my colleague Ronald Peary earlier on. How clear we must be. Bear in mind that the almost 1,500 police and SAP staff with the criminal records are people who have been through the judicial process and been found guilty and unfortunately not dismissed from the SAPs. There are still literally around 5,000 cases being investigated by the ICID in any one year. So this number is a minor amount. There may well, and there are many SAPS members going through the process who still work at stations, they're not suspended and yet accused of quite heinous crimes. So yes, it is a problem and it's also hugely embarrassing to this country that such an audit even had to be undertaken. How can the SAPS not know that they have people with criminal convictions who work amongst them? And perhaps that is the, the more important question, Lieutenant General. Did the SAPS not know up until the audit was undertaken? It seems like we've lost him again. Well, let's uh, leave it there with him. Uh, on to uh, you, Tamba Masuku. Uh, you, you've done research on, on some of these issues. Uh, did the SAPS not know up until the audit, or was there an indication of... Uh, you know, the ranks of the SAPS being uh, swelled with people who've been convicted with serious crimes because if you heard Lieutenant General Mahali admit that of the 1,448, it seems majority of them are people convicted with serious crimes. Absolutely. I would, I would be very surprised if the SAPS management you were not aware of, of um, the criminality of police officers within their system. Because remember... Um, what, what makes this a problem? I think uh, we, we, we need to contextualize this uh, with, with our transition to democracy. That um, in the 1990s, when uh, different uh, police forces were being brought together, some of these things, some of these uh, fault lines are likely to, to happen. That the system was going to be was go- was going to be infiltrated by police officers with criminal records for, for a variety of reasons. Uh, it was a transitional stage. Um, the, 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 the system did not have the kind of rigor that perhaps we, 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 we see nowadays. So you had police officers, uh, also with, with pressure from, from, from the political system to have uh, people employed within, within the security forces. And some of these people were not, were, 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 were not, were not clearly properly vetted. Um, and, it, it, and, 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 and like the the police officer said it's very, it's very, it's very easy to, to deal with uh, people coming into the system, uh, but it's, it's difficult to remove people already in the system because then you're, you're subject, you're, you are now restricted in terms of uh, labor relations. So I would say um, police officers, <coughs> police management already would have had a fair idea of what might have 
what, what might have been in, this, in their system. But the, the, the challenge in terms of, of our Labor Relations Act is that if you're going to remove someone uh, from the system, then you've got to take them through the system. And again here, the other issue that, that perhaps is relevant is the, is the role of, 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 um, of unions, uh, police unions in the, in the disciplinary and, 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 the, and the labor relations issues. Unions play a very, very important role because um, then they, they, they enjoy representation and, they, and um, they, there must be some, a due process that, that, um, that is fair, that is transparent, that allows the member case to be had and the member okay. to, be, to, to be removed if, if need be. 0891 if you'd like to comment on this issue. We understand that Lieutenant General Solomon Mahale is going to be with us now for the rest of the hour. We'll get back to him, but perhaps to come back to you, Gareth Newham, uh, there, there is also another concerning issue, and that uh, the statistics on police brutality. I mean, if we hear that there are more, or th- that they've left by more than 300% in the past decade, it's one thing that they're convicted, that we have convicted um, police officers within the system, but how many people actually report uh, crimes by police to the police? Um, relatively few if you compare the number of people who, who could report crimes. Uh, we've done a, a qualitative study, so it wasn't a survey. We weren't looking for statistics. We are trying to understand how people understood police brutality and, and corruption and, how, and whether they knew they could report it and also whether they knew they should um, encourage good policing. So the research was really trying to look at police community relations in different settings. So we did um, focus groups in KwaZulu-Natal, Western Cape, um, and Gauteng primarily in different kinds of communities, informal settlements, suburbs, townships, peri-urban areas. Um, and out of a few hundred cases that we, or people that we spoke to, about 50 specific instances of police brutality or corruption were experienced directly by the participants where they had been, had something stolen from them, they had been unfairly assaulted, that kind of thing. And only one had tried to report it to the police. So, it's, it's, it's not a statistical survey. We can't say that one in 50 do or not, but what we can say is that there's a lot more uh, police brutality and criminality that ever gets reported through the formal systems. And this is also not unusual to South Africa. This is a common problem because people are scared of the police. If the police are meant to protect you and you come across those police officials, they're not doing their jobs properly, you are criminals, uh, and they uh, act badly towards you, you're scared and you're not sure if you can go to the police. So it's not unusual, which is why we actually have the independent police investigative director. So that's a separate body that people can go to. And they receive about two two and a half thousand um, cases of brutality against police um, every year. All right, we're uh, taking your calls 891 in just a moment. Let's update your news headlines now at 8.30 with Fabachni Chetty. The Forum at 8 on SAFM. It's now 27 minutes to 9. We're continuing with our conversation. The question we're asking is whether the revelation that more than a thousand police and SAPS staff Members have criminal records as a cause for concern. 0891-104-208. We have uh, quite a lot of SMSs and calls, but uh, let's uh, take your SMSs quickly. And I'll come to you, Mike, in just a moment. Josini, a pop cream member, says 1,500 SAPS members associated with crime. What disturbing stats. We should not be surprised. Minister Mtatwa's house was fenced at 200,000 rand. I've been in the police for 10 years. I'm still a constable with specialized training. When are we going to get promoted? He wants to know. Fanong Ngobo in Cape Town says, I do not comprehend what the fuss is all about because I would have thought that you need thugs 
or criminals to catch other criminals. Spion KZN says, I'm even surprised that SAPS has not collapsed. The institution is on autopilot. The person who's supposed to be leading is still learning her job. Imelda says... Uh, uh, so how were they hired in when in private companies a criminal record is an immediate disqualification? Uh, we'll get to Lieutenant General Mahalit to answer that question, but let's go to Mark in, Mike in Newlands. Hi, Mike. How are you? Hello, Sophie. So, uh, cutting it show, you really do have one here. I wanted to say that, you know, we need to just start first. The, the word perception was mentioned. We've moved from perception to reality. The reality is that we have one police chief who already is in jail. We have one police chief who was dismissed for corruption and then gets promoted to the highest office, or another high office within the ANC. I don't know what message that sends out to the police. I don't know. And then finally, we have a police chief now, Ria Piata, who might be the best admin person in town, but she has no police skills. So what we're having is a police force here without being run, not being run by proper policemen. What we've done is we've taken the career policeman who worked his way through the ranks as a constable, worked his way up to the top job in the country because he wants to serve his country, but he gets kicked in the teeth, uh, gentlemen, because all of a sudden our president wants to put in a political appointee solely so he can manage and control the police force to his benefit. What we have to do, I believe, gentlemen, is we are in so much trouble with the police. I think it was those of the second or third most corrupt government uh, uh, department in the government just recently on some poll. Um, we're in trouble. We need to now act decisively. We cannot tolerate any corruption. I don't want to hear about labor relations. I don't want to hear any excuses. If you are guilty of stealing from the people of this country, you must be dismissed immediately. You must be disgraced. You must be court-martialed, and you must pay back the money you stole, and charges must be pressed. Because if we don't do that right now, we've just lost another police officer here in the Western Cape last night, why is that? Because there's no respect for the police. Guys, Mike. we cannot have, so just in conclusion, we cannot have the police enforcing a law which they have, but the very person who's enforcing it has broken it himself. It's just not acceptable. Thank Mike you, in sir. Newlands. Derek in Pretoria? Derek, can you hear us? Okay, we'll come back to Derek and other callers in just a moment. This uh, this SMS from BQ saying, uh, Bishop Tutu says South Africa is becoming a crime capital. He was rebuked. And look at these stats of police involved in crime. Anyway, we have Richard Mkluli. Less enriched spaces. Of course, it's a huge concern. It will be important to identify the severity of the crimes committed and the rank of these police officials within police management. Lieutenant General uh, Mahale, this is a question that I have been asking. And I also asked you to uh, speak to whether or not these people have gotten into the system after being convicted. Okay. Um, we have to... The reason it took two years to get to this point of having a final number is that we've had to look at each and every individual case. Now, majority of them is as a result of the following. What you find is that somebody is convicted in court and they are sentenced to five years in prison. They appeal, the conviction is held, and maybe you know the, 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 the higher court would say pay a fine of so much. Now, what's supposed to happen in terms of the act is that you're supposed to go back and appeal to uh, uh, make representation um, to the South African Police Service to say, yes, I've been convicted, I'm sorry, but you know um, I don't have to serve time in jail because of the... Um, it, because of the uh, decision of the upper, of the higher court. Now, these decisions were made at a much lower level, and that is one of the things that we are now looking at to say. Has that been there have been people who slipped into the system? 
Sorry? Does that mean there's been people who've slipped into the system after being convicted? No, it's not slipped into the system. It's that our processes do allow people to be able to continue to serve even if they do have criminal records. And let us not also forget that, yes, uh, we have talked a lot about corruption. There is uh, corruption and there is a possibility that our systems can be manipulated by people uh, to allow uh, people with criminal records to enter the I, I'm asking this, Lieutenant General, you'll pardon me for continually interrupting you because I'm not getting an answer and I'm, I'm going to look for the specific case. Okay. But we know of, a poli- of somebody who was a convicted criminal who managed to get into yes. the police service at a very high-ranking level. So he had yes. been committed, yes. was a convicted criminal, got into the police system and was hired yes. at a eventually at a very high level. So this is not somebody who is already serving. This is somebody who was a convicted criminal, applied for a job in the police force, and ended up at a high-ranking level. Are there such cases? Yes. I was answering your question, and I said my answer to you is that, yes, it is a possibility. And I think the one that you've got in mind is the recent one of uh, so-called KGB. Uh, who was um, found to, in fact, have, uh, in fact, is in prison as we speak, serving a 10-year jail sentence. So it is possible, as I've indicated, that there are certain corrupt members who manipulate the system and allow people with criminal convictions to, to uh, enter the service. But the point, important point I wanted to highlight is the following, and, and we shouldn't confuse the two things. One is that we have historical issues that the current new management is dealing with. And those issues have been dealt with, and the National Commissioner will revert to the Minister of Police before the end of, of October. Then we have current issues that do come up. You know, as we speak, there could be an incident. Those incidents are dealt with, and we try and, you know, you asked me earlier, what is the turnaround time in terms of the, our disciplinary process? We try and complete everything within 60 days, but more, some of the cases are, uh, are complex, and we, we need time to make sure. So if, somebody like sure that that manages to, so if somebody like that manages to slip into the system, uh, how well is your crime information system working? That's why I'm saying... It is working because we were able to, in the end, to find that exactly that this person, in fact, is supposed to be in jail. They're not supposed to be serving, and that person was sent to jail straight away. So we we do we do have systems, but however, you have a challenge when the people that are supposed to do the actual monitoring are the ones that are committing uh, corruption. That are allowing criminals into the system. But those people, as and when we, we find them, we deal with them. Gareth Newham, what's your, what's your opinion on this? Well, look, I, um, <clears throat> I do understand it's not as easy to, to pick up these, situ- uh, these, these um, individuals as it might seem. But, uh, and I think that there have been improvements. I mean, at first of all, it was good that they did this, uh, this audit. It gives them a sense of what's going on. And, it, 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 you know, if you look at the sort of uh, disciplinary statistics, um, around over 500 people have been dismissed from the police service every year for the last three years. 
and the number of disciplinary cases have gone up um, by 59% um, in the last five years as well. So you can see improvements. I certainly, uh, I don't want to sort of think that everything's in a complete crisis. I think that mm-hmm. there, are, there are certainly efforts being made to try improve the discipline in the police and take good action. But there's still key problems, and I think um, we do have a problem. And one of the kind of contextual issues is that, for, you know, since 2002, 2003, there's been about 70,000 or just under 70,000 new posts created in the South African Police Service. So every year you've had about 67,000 new recruits coming in. And I think that's been part of the challenge, is that when you have these mass recruitment campaigns to try and get the numbers up, because remember, there were people concerned they didn't see police, they didn't have enough police officials given the crime rate. But the problem is that when you have these thousands of people coming in, you can't necessarily accurately vet all of them. And in some cases, the vetting doesn't take place properly, and that you might end up having a situation where people come into the police service with criminal records. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's, but I think there's a lot of work that still needs to be done in the, criminal, in the disciplinary system, because that's really where you want to, to make sure you get rid of people. You don't want to make, wait, wait until they commit a you know, criminal act. Wait, which is what I them. wanted to get to. Should we not be more worried about the... Um, cases of brutality that I spoke to earlier on or the the SAPS members who are already facing uh, criminal charges or civil claims as a result of uh, police impropriety, brutality, criminal behavior. Yes, you do need to be worried because that is exactly what is undermining the confidence of the public in the police. Unfortunately, there are many good police officials whose work is made far more difficult because of their colleagues who are not adhering to the law, not listening to the protocols and the regulations. And one of the problems with the disciplinary system is that, for instance, out of the 5,540 disciplinary hearings that happened last year, and it's very resource-intensive to hold the disciplinary hearing. You've got to investigate, you've got to have a presiding officer, you've got to have unions involved. Out of the 5,540, the most likely outcome in almost one in three was that nothing would happen to the officer. The case would be withdrawn or the officer would be uh, acquitted. And only 9% would result in, 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 convi- uh, in convictions and dismissals. Uh, or dismissal. So you, you immediately see that that whole system needs to change. On the one hand, you also need to encourage good policing. And I think too often we focus on the negative mm-hmm. and we don't say, look, when we have police officers who go out there, put their lives on the line, or really give people good service, help people, we must also really make sure to appreciate those people because the best way to fight police brutality and police criminality is from within. The, the, the corrupt cops must be scared of their colleagues because the community will support those colleagues. And unfortunately, at the moment, we have a problem where, in fact, it's the good cops who are often more scared of their corrupt mm-hmm. colleagues than the other I, I do want us to get to the issue of perception versus fact in just a moment, but I want to take Derek's call in Pretoria, 0891-104208, and also take other callers. Before I come back to you, Mr. Masuku, 0891-104208, Derek in Pretoria. Hi, Derek. Yes, hi. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, good morning. I, I just think that uh, the public has got all the right to be outraged. I think, um, you know, somebody there spoke about something not being a huge crisis. I think it's a crisis if there's one murderer or one rapist in the employ of the police. Um, while I think that the uh, communications representative of the police has got a very difficult task this morning, I do think that he's insulting the intelligence of the public out there. I think let's take it from, from the start. When you, in your recruitment process, um, if you don't have a, a standard operating procedure to look for criminality, then I think that you're failing. Um, I think secondly, you know, uh, they talk about labor legislation and so on. I think uh, uh, that's totally disingenuous. I, I think that uh, every policeman has got a contractual obligation or con- contractual relationship with his employer, um, which certainly spells out um, what his rights and, and sanctions are under certain conditions. Secondly, I'm sure the police have got a disciplinary code 
um, in, in, in terms of which they can act if they want to. And I think thirdly, the fact that um, uh, these uh, people have been in the, the system so long just tells you a hell of a lot about the uh, management of the police mm-hmm. and why the perception is out there that they're rotten to the core. If, if I'm busy with a criminal case, uh, uh, basically what uh, you want to tell me is that the um, that nobody in the police station or in the work environment knows about that, um, what's going on. Nobody knows anything about the outcome, and nobody is interested in doing anything about it. I okay, think okay. The, the problem basically uh, lies from top management down. If top management has the will and there's a political support for something to be done, then it will be done. All right, but thanks, Derek. The problem is Miles uh, from the South African Prison Association. Seti, so good morning and good morning to your listeners. Good morning, Golden Miles Budu. You know what I hear here? It doesn't only boggles the mind. It tells us exactly where is this country going to, you know? Can you imagine police officers, 14,000 of 1,400 of them, slipped through the cracks? We have been trying for years now to get the Department of Justice to sit down with us as an organization, insist us financially, materially, so that we start a campaign to discuss the issue of previous criminal record, because there are people who are deserving. Now you hear that police people, people within the South African police services who are supposed uh, to, to safeguard us, people who are supposed we to trust with our lives has gone through the cracks. What does that tell you when it's a piece? All right. Thanks, Miles. Miles uh, from the South African Prison Association. Some more SMSs. Yanda says, we have senior political and government officials in SAPS and intelligence who are friends of drug pushers. Frank Chikani exposed this in his latest book. And Ivan says, ordinary traffic of offences are not recorded as a criminal conviction. The police made a statement that some police had appealed and had their conviction overturned, but this is impossible that a conviction would still be recorded. What about the fact that some police are still employed, like Richard McCluley, while there was a murder investigation against him? Ivan and the police initially tried to keep him as the head of crime intelligence. On Twitter, Spusi Sir says 1,400 police with criminal records means the public is not safe. They must be drafted out of service. And Johnny Michael writes, uh, what processes does SAPS have in place to attract genuine police officers with the sole intention to serve? Now, just to come back to you, Mr. Masuko, I mean, uh, I think it's a very important statistic, albeit we're talking about... Um, perception at this point. The fact that we have 35% of citizens who are scared of the police, 41% who do not trust the police, that means that you have to recruit the right kind of officer into the service. And the Deputy Police Minister uh, saying herself that the recruitment process is fraught with things like um, favoritism, nepotism, allegiance or prejudice, and, and that renders it corrupt. Uh, absolutely. Um, and I'll even go further and say um, part of this um, um, movement towards uh, professionalizing police is the realization that the democratizing police was not enough. You need to professionalize the, the, the force. And it will start with, um, with getting in the police service um, the right candidates. I think, uh, I think there's been a lot of pressure, and some of it is political pressure, 
to to get into the system. People were not deserving. People are not um, are not qualified. And I think um, uh, what what is what gives hope, at least for me, is the fact that um, this issue about professionalizing police would seek to clean up the system and make sure that the, uh, the proper systems of accountability in place, uh, the proper systems of management in place, and so, so that these, these issues are identifiable and are dealt with immediately. Because um, it's going to be very important for this country going forward to ensure that we have a police service that can be trusted by the public. Right. But, uh, you know, institutions like community policing forums, they're not functioning because there's a perception out there that um, the system is not, is not working, and we need the system to work for people to rally behind the police service. 891 just taking the last calls as we wrap up. Lieutenant General, Major General Munyapao of uh, the SAP is saying that part of the problem is that the police force does not have an integrity management framework. So this problem has been identified. What is being done about it? Yes. Yeah. Amongst uh, the many initiatives that the uh, National Commissioner has come up with, because I agree with this, because we do have challenges, we do have, we do have problems, and these issues need to be dealt with, is to say, let us uh, set up a, an anti-corruption unit that will focus only on investigating criminality uh, within the South African Police Service. Um, we need to do that so that we can start demonstrating to the public that we need It's never an easy task to take action against your own colleagues, but that needs to be done so that uh, we can continue to improve the confidence that uh, people need to have in the South African Police Service. But how would this integrity management framework, for instance, work? Look, I think there are a number of things that need to be done. One is such things such as lifestyle audits. We're talking about some of the officers who um, are friends with uh, drug lords, some of the police officers who are said to be owning shebeens, some of the police officers who are said to be involved in the taxi industry. So if one does a proper lifestyle audit, it's to tell that at this particular rank, you should not be owning a Porsche vehicle, for instance. So it's those kind of things that we need to look into and make sure that those things are done and are done properly so that we can rid the, the service of the wrong elements. And uh, Gareth, New York civilian oversight, what role could it play? I mean, just looking back at some of the suggestions made by General Gale when he was launching the BTLP uh, system, for instance, one of the things that he was saying that it's important to have community participation in the selection process of new recruits. Well, I think it's, you know, it's an interesting idea, but it, it mustn't be in place of good internal vetting mm. systems because the public don't always know who all the criminals are. And, in fact, the, other, the opposite might happen. You do get situations where organized crime syndicates and gangs want their members to join the police because then they have people on the inside of the police service mm. who can, they can work with. So you can't rely on it only, but it is a good, a good initiative if you can make sure that people at least have a sense of who's going in, who's applying, and if they know something about that person, that they can alert the police to it beforehand. Um, so, but I, but I think that the issue of a, of a national integrity uh, framework is important. And in fact, the police service did adopt 
and National Anti-Corruption Strategy in 2011, which looks at the whole range of issues from recruitment all the way through promoting good behavior and indeed with accountability. So I think it's important that, for instance, that oversight bodies such as the Portfolio Committee of Police should really track the implementation of that, of that, that strategy. Is it being implemented? What are the impacts of that implementation happening? And, of course, we've got the National Development Plan, and Tom Timber Masuka is very correct about the issue to professionalize the police, and that's what the National Development Plan calls for. So there's a lot of plans in place, but I think really what we've got to see now is, is, this, uh, is action being taken, and we've got to see mm. political commitment to fix and professionalize the police. Service. In fact, you've highlighted that the fact that there's been an increase in the number of shift commanders does not necessarily mean better management. You find a situation where, uh, in fact, there's less professional ethos, and uh, it's easier for people to get corrupt and do things for their own gain. Yeah, the, the shift commanders, I mean, that's, that goes back to the issue of command and control. There's been a, there was an internal study done in the South African Police Service by previous commissioners who, over two years, in 2006 and 2007 to 2008, and they visited 870-odd police stations, and one of the key findings was that your middle management at police station there was, was not exercising proper command and control. In other words, they weren't taking action when they saw police doing wrong things. At the same time, they weren't necessarily supporting and encouraging good policing themselves. So it's not just the number of shift commanders. You've got to have people who really are, have the highest level of integrity. They know their job. They're confident. They command authority amongst those that they work for them. And they inspire as well. So it's not just mm-hmm. a shift commander that yells at you when you're doing something wrong, but also encourages you, inspires you to be a better police officer and really de- and, and develop community relations. All right. 891 We're just taking just the last two calls. Junior, in Kimberley, you said is a cause for concern? Yes, uh, ma'am. Uh, actually, what I want to explain is... Uh, the problem with the subs now is the uh, issue of payment. I understand we are putting everything on, on the table and it's a valid reason, but the main problem is our police are underpaid. All right. If we can sort out the issue of the police uh, payment, then everything will be fine because these people, they are the first on the scene and they are temp- a lot of temptation whereby they will find themselves being involved in crime. So let us sort the payment of the police, including the management, then you will see. All right, Junior. Lieutenant General uh, Mahale, it is a very good point. I think Mr. Newham himself has mentioned that uh, perhaps if you have less policemen who are better paid, that could be part of the solution. Look, I think uh, he's correct in a sense that um, the solution is going to come on many, uh, from many fronts. But there's, there's two points. One is about professionalization of the force, and the second one is about um, command and control, and um, there are plans underway to implement um, the, the, the strategies that are on the table. Um, you'll recall that um, the, the, the top management of the, the police uh, met at 1,500 of them to discuss these very issues and to make sure that there is um, <clears throat> what what is being discussed and what has been put in has been documented is actually implemented and that there is a visible change in terms of day-to-day running of police stations. When you talk about professionalization um, of the police force, one of the suggestions has been made by the NDP, for instance, is you need to go back to demilitarizing the police force. Is that under consideration? Yes, that's on the table. That's on the table also to say um, when we talk demilitarization, are we saying remove the rank? the ranking system, the current ranking system, or are we talking about something a lot more substantial? And that's the internal discussions that are happening to say, if we say demilitarize, what exactly do we mean by that and what actions do management need to take to make sure that 
they, we do what we're supposed to do, which is to protect the citizens of this country. All right. Uh, just to get a final word now from you, Gareth Newham, on the way forward. Importantly, how do we increase faith in the police? How do we ensure that those who are already in the force don't fall prey to that desperation because of the conditions under which they work to, you know, become corrupt? Well, I think the National Development Plan does, does start to provide us with solutions in this regard. I think also it's a much bigger problem than the police themselves can necessarily face. And that's why the National Development Plan calls for a multidisciplinary, multi-sectoral national police board that looks at the kind of qualification, skills and experience that officials should have and then make sure that all your, your top management positions, all of them, are, are, are when appointments are made, following a transparent, competitive, open process. So that the best possible men and women who represent the South African society can be in those positions. Because I think it was raised earlier, for too long, over the last 10 years or so, we've had appointments of people who shouldn't really be there. They don't. Okay. They're not there because of the right reasons. And if, that's, if you start having the top management sorted out, the rest will start flowing. Mr. Masuko, in 30 seconds, your final word? Yes, my final word is that, um, um, obviously, this, the, the audit should not be the last um, audit to be done. There are many other processes that need to, 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 to take in place. But most importantly, you need to strengthen internal mechanism in, within the police. You need to uh, uh, strengthen external mechanism, strengthen uh, the, the oversight, like the, the IT, get investigators who can who are qualified to investigate, um, make sure that the secretariat is well funded and ensure that they are able to do to do oversight of the police so that the public can have trust that okay. we have a, a transparent um, a police service that is, that is providing an essential service. Tempa Masuku, Independent Research on Crime and Policing. Thank you very much. Thanks as well to Gareth Newham, Head of Crime and Justice Program at the Institute for Security Studies and also to Lieutenant General Solomon Mahale, Head of Communications for the South African Police Service. Thanks to the team that put it all together as well. Brings the time to exactly 9 o'clock. Up next, the news with Rabakshi Chetty.